Well, we are uh, going to be getting a brand new series starting today. Um, we're going to be working through the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, for those who are new, uh, for certain series, we have what's called discussion guides or leaders guides. Not really leaders guides, more discussion guides. What we do is we print scripture off, and then it's a way for you to kind of take some notes um, together. And we use these a lot in our groups. Uh, Justin mentioned announcements this morning and that there were only two. Uh, that's on purpose. Um, we really, really want groups to be our main thing at this church. Um, if you're visiting with us, that's kind of what we want to be known for, uh, is to be a church that, yes, gathers on Sunday, but is real and honest with each other throughout the week. And that, we believe that happens best in groups. Uh, so you can check that out um, beginning, um, not this coming week, but the one after. The groups will start back, and if you were not in one, we'd encourage it. And these uh, booklets kind of help you with that, just kind of have some more discussion that way when it comes to um, the passage we're going to be into today. So um, if that's helpful, you can grab one on the way out. Um, let me just say as well, if you are visiting with us and um, you want to uh, let us know you're, you're here and um, we'd like to send you something, there is a Connect card in front of you and the chair in front of you. You can fill that out. Um, I'll even let you do it during the sermon. It's fantastic. Nobody's listening anyway. Uh, and uh, go ahead and fill that out and uh, drop that in the plate on the way out. Um, we'd love to connect with you uh, through the week. But this morning, 1 Corinthians is where we're going to start off. And this morning isn't going to be a whole lot of text. This morning is going to be a lot of context and a lot of cultural context, historical. I want us to leave this morning knowing the church and knowing the culture that Paul is writing to. And uh, hopefully that will be the case as we end today. And uh, Corinthians is kind of a brutal letter. Um, it's, it's, it's mean at times. Uh, it's honest. And uh, it, it kind of reminds me of um, my oldest. Uh, I asked her if I could share this, so we're okay. Uh, I, I, she's learning to drive. Well, she's past learning to drive. She just took her test um, last week, and she passed. Um, so she only missed one, and she's distraught that she missed one. But that's her. Um, I'm like, are you kidding me? I took out a cone and probably a person on my test. Um, but she, uh, she's excited, and uh, she's driving. And if you've been through that phase, you know the phase that when they're sitting beside you uh, or in the back seat, and you're driving, and they, they now know all the rules of the road, it's horrible. Um, it's absolutely obnoxious. Uh, and so we're driving and she's like, dad, that you, you made two out of a turn. I'm like, did I, you know? And she's like, you're doing, you're doing 38. And I'm like, yeah. And it's 35. I should be doing 45. Don't get me started on 93 because people, you don't know how to drive on 93. It should be an Autobahn. Um, and so merges that are more like cutoffs, like you didn't use your blinker. I'm like, I never use my blinker. And is anybody with me? Does anybody else use their blinker? Like never, that's me, okay? And people are like, oh, he's going, that's me. So I never use blinker. Speed limits are kind of like, eh. Uh, I try to explain um, my role model as baby driver, but she doesn't get that either. And so it's a whole thing, like, and, and she's always trying to correct along the way. And here is what is true about that situation. She's right. <laughs> and that's the worst part. She's right. I mean, all of my stuff I'm doing probably wouldn't pass any exam out there, right? She's exactly right. She's correct. And if I tried to pass the driving test today, I'd fail. I just gotten used to driving and I've grown accustomed to kind of my bad habits of driving. Um, or as I choose to say it, uh, my freedom to express myself through vehicular expression. Um, that's, that's a term I think I should, we should catch on to. It's just my freedom. It's my artistic way of vehicular ex- expedition and expression. Um, and I remember that uh, it, it, it's, it's a learning curve for her, but she's right, especially 
in driving, and you may remember driving, right? Driving is an amazing freedom when you first experience it. It's great. Like the first time you're in the car by yourself and nobody's there, you're like, sure, I'll go to McDonald's. I don't care. Sure, I'll go to Dairy Queen and get blizzards. That's fine. Because you'll go anywhere because you have freedom. But freedom came at a cost of correction. And that correction has made her a better driver, thank the Lord. And so it's all because of the correction that she experiences the freedom. And that is what we're going to learn today, that there is a freedom in Christ's church that he gives us. And you'll experience through this series, there's a great freedom, but it comes through correction. It comes through Paul talking to this church plant saying, hey, there's a way of doing things. And just like there's no cookie cutter way to driving, there's a freedom in it. We're going to see that basically like that, there is a freedom, but there's also responsibility. It requires correcting. It allows for freedom, but it's done best underneath the safest of a teacher. And so we're going to spend some time listening to um, this amazing man named Paul, who comparably could be a seminary professor turned radical murderer, then saved church planter guy who had a huge impact on the world around him, and especially in your New Testament as well. So Paul wrote a letter to a church to address these areas, responsibility, correction, amazing freedom, and wise counsel. And in this letter, he's going to talk about some pretty big areas. And these big areas are this. One, he's going to talk about divisions in the church in chapters 1 through 4. He's going to talk about sex and marriage and even remarriage in chapters 5 through 7. He's going to talk about freedom to not be a cookie-cutter Christian in 8 to 10. And he's going to talk about how to do church, like how do we do church on a Sunday morning here in 11 to 14. And Paul will define problems along the way. And as he defines these problems in all these sections, he's going to show us how Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is the solution to every problem in the book of Corinthians, and the biggest solution to every problem we have today. So almost every week, you're going to hear me say, and we're going to do kind of the same thing. We're going to define the problem, we're going to address it, and then are going to show how Jesus is the solution. Make sense? So that's going to be the entire series, and you're going to get tired of it because it's going to be a long series. But I'm telling you, it is worth it because there is so much in here that I couldn't just do a chapter at a time. It wouldn't do it justice. So we're going to spend some time in Corinthians um, a lot. Uh, of the first part of this year and even into um, we're going to break for summer and then we're actually going to come back to it in the fall so if that tells you anything uh, it's going to be a big deal so we're going to talk about most of it and we're going to hit gifts in the fall because there's just too much to get to now so it's going to be awesome so that's what we're going to do we're going to talk about this morning so here that's the big picture this morning I want to talk about the historical cultural context like I said before I want to give you Paul's intro to the letter and here's my big prayer here's the big thing I want over this church Starting off, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. That in every way, you, and when he says you, again, this is the you and y'all, all y'all, kind of everybody plays. This is in every way, you all were enriched in him, in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ is confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's my hope for this church, that in every way we are enriched in speech and in knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ is confirmed, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of Christ that is to come. That's my hope. That's the whole purpose of this morning. It's going to be the whole purpose of Corinthians, I truly believe, and this is what he's going to get into. So, Historical context. Let's talk about what Corinth is. Let's talk about how we got this letter. Let's talk about what's happening so that you can understand 
this letter moving forward, okay? So here's some historical context. Corinth came into conflict with Rome around 146 BC. For those history buffs, you're like, yes, history and culture. For those of you who like, this isn't your world, just check out for a little bit, check in later. Um, But Rome, in 146 BC, Rome levels the city of Corinth and destroyed them for punishing an opposition to Rome in 146 BC. And it lay desolate as a city for about 100 years. That's crazy. So Rome gets demolished, or Corinth gets demolished, it's sacked, it's done, it lays dormant for 100 years. And then around 44 BC, Julius Caesar rebuilds it, and it is now a Roman colony. So think all the way back to 44 BC. This is now a Roman colony and became a melting pot for the area. So it had Asian, Roman, Italians, Jewish, free people, all of them in this huge hodgepodge of this city. Who made up the church were strong Jewish converts. So there were some who uh, followed the way of, uh, of, of Judaism and then basically converted to following Christ as the Messiah. There were poor slaves. In other words, those who were still under slavery. There were freed slaves. These were slaves that were freed by their masters and now they're trying to gain a living. There are many religious people who, lived, who left their gods and came to the God, Jesus Christ. This was a church that not only had freed and not freed and Jewish and came to Christ. This was a very wealthy church and a very poor church. You would have a CEO, large company organization leader sitting in the front row, and then you'd have a slave sitting in the back row. How awkward would that be, right? The richest of the rich and the poorest of the poor are gathered in this church in Corinth. And Paul comes into the city about 100 years after Caesar, which is about 49 AD, and it is now the third leading city in the whole area. So the leading cities would go like this, Rome, obviously, uh, Alexandria, and Corinth. Those are your three big cities at this point in time. So think mega city, huge city for that time frame. And for people who living here, they, were, they had a lot of money in Corinth. It was a very rich city, a city that had mixed religions. It had at least 26 major religions or sacred places in the city. So it'd be very diverse that way. And as a result, in Corinth, had quite a bit different belief systems. And so in this church, because there were so many religious things, because there was so much freedom, you would have differences in temple feasts, which we hear about in chapter 8. You're going to have differences in marriage. Some people who came to this church thought marriage was sinful. Don't say amen if you're sitting next to your spouse. Um, Marriage was sinful, and he's going to talk about that in chapter 7. Suing each other was the best way to remedy a conflict, which he's going to talk about in chapter 6. And arguing the right to go see prostitutes on a regular basis. You're going to hear about that. See, welcome to church. Welcome. Um, You're going to hear about that in chapter 6. This would have not just been your regular city, but this would have been a city that was thriving and so different as far as where they beliefs landed. So add on top of that, this congregation would have a very mixed economy and some very wealthy, like I said, some very poor, some who were slaves out of slavery and some were still in it. And that's the this, this city and the context in which you get into. A picture of Corinth now looks like this. This is now Corinth today. Uh, we would probably Back then, they wouldn't recognize it, but now it's a very beautiful city and where it's located. Uh, this, is a city, this is the ruins that are now there in Corinth. Uh, one of the major areas of Corinth is listed uh, as one of the ruins here. And then the next thing you see here is not only that, but there's this isthmus that goes through this canal. And this was the main isthmus. That's a fun word to say. This is the, the same canal that all of the shipping and things would go through. So anybody who, who needed anything, any export or import that was needed would have to go through Corinth. So obviously it was a major city when it came to sales and marketing and things like that. They would have known it because this was a city that was thriving because of this little canal that made all the commerce possible. 
Okay, so this is the, where the kind of the city is today. If you were to go there, you could see this is still in existence today. This little canal is still in existence today. They still use it as a port there. And then if you were to go in, in large picture, this is a location of where Corinth would be. So if you have kind of geography here, the Italian boot is up at the top, Macedonia above there. And Corinth would be right there kind of on that bay in between the two. And if you were to kind of um, go in a little closer, the city would look a lot like this. And so it's a city that would be a bunch of different temples and places and things. But this would be the hub. There was a theater still. All of these things were part of what Corinth possibly could have looked like at that time. Not only that, but Paul is going to use in these things that there was a, a, a race, almost like the Olympics, uh, more, more probably like the Pan Am Games than, than the Olympics. But in this picture, you can actually see where Paul would, would say... As you, as you run the race, when he's talking about running the race, he's talking about this race, right, where they would start in Corinth and they would go all the way up to, uh, to Athens. And we're going to talk about that a little later. But it's just kind of cool to see some of the geography to think, man, that would be a great race to run, right? Right on the beach, like coast, it would be gorgeous. But that was kind of the area of which they lived, and it was a major thriving city. The city was not only huge, but it was um, highly independent. Uh, it was basically a rule of thought that you could be who you wanted to be, much different than some of the other ones. And I think if you were to kind of put this all in together of like what kind of city you're in, the city would be kind of a mix between um, New York, L.A., and Vegas, all in one, okay? So like it'd be the huge numbers in New York, it would be the cost of living of Los Angeles, which, by the way, uh, average house in L.A., just so you know the idea of houses out there, 60, $675 a square foot, okay? So a 1,200-square-foot home, $810,000, okay? So that's L.A., right? You're like, wow, Ohio's not that bad, right? Yeah, so our cost of living, it's amazing. I talked to uh, a guy out in, this is a side note, but I talked to our church plant out in Oregon, and I told him how much we paid for the building, and he's like, <laughs> that would get us a studio. And I'm like, it's just what it is. And so it's amazing the differences between the two. So cost of L.A. living, numbers of New York, and then think lifestyle of Vegas, and that's Corinth, okay? And you're like, wow, okay. So that's where Paul is. In Acts 18, you can read how this church came into existence. So in, in Acts 18, he talks about coming into the city, and he meets uh, Aquila and Priscilla, which are this couple that is in the area. And as he gets to know them, he arrives in the town to seek employment. He finds a job with Aquila and Priscilla. They are tent makers, and so Paul is a tr- tent maker by trade. He's a blue-collar worker, and they allow Paul to live with them there for a while. He worked all week with them on Saturdays, and then he would go to synagogue and reason with the Jewish people. And at some point, Silas and Timothy, who were his apprentices, um, they came to see Paul, and these missionary pastors were trained underneath Paul in Corinth. And soon after their arrival, Paul has had it with the stubbornness of the Jewish people in the synagogue, and he moves on to the Gentiles, and he says this in Acts 18.6, And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So that's the part, that's the start of the church plant in Corinth, right? He arrives in town. He gets a secondary job. He's a tent maker by trade. That's his full-time occupation. He does church on the side as a church planter, bivocational. And as he starts this church plant, he gets stubbornness and resistance against the people who should have received him. And as a result of the stubbornness of of these people, he says, fine, your blood be upon your heads. I'm out. Which is just like, I don't know many church plants that start well that way, but Paul's did. I mean, I can imagine like standing up here like, I hate all of you. 
All of you. You're just so stubborn and resistant, I'm out. Like, you're like, oh, great start, Paul. But he instead goes from the Jewish people to the Gentiles, and the resistance that he sees, because of the resistance, he goes to Gentiles, and he sees great growth in going to these Gentiles. He gains Aquila and Priscilla, who are the ones he's staying with. They were also the tent makers. And Aquila and Priscilla become this leading couple in this church plant. So he gains the next-door neighbor after Aquila and Priscilla. He gains the next-door neighbor to the synagogue, Titius, Justice, which is a fun name. And then he gains the ruler of the synagogue, which he just left by the name of Crispus. So he's in the congregation. And then he baptizes many Corinthians along the way. And so there's no actual number recorded, but we know that the congregation has come together in Acts chapter 18. And from here, we know that he spent a year and a half building this church in Corinth under the direction and the call of God. Okay, so in Acts 18, 9 to 11, it says this, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in the city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. So, all of that to say, where are you going with this? Here's where I'm giving you context. You got context of Corinth, context of city. You got the context of a church planter who's just met the resistance of the Jewish people, says, I'm not going to hang out with them. I'm going to those who need Jesus, goes to those who need Jesus, gathers a small group of believers, Aquila, Priscilla, the next door neighbor to the synagogue, then the leader of the synagogue. And then he's reminded by God in the midst of church planting, you need this often. You need to remember the call of God. And he says, Paul, don't worry. I've called you to this place. I've called you to Corinth. Don't be afraid. You're not going to get stoned like all the other church plants that you've been in. He's getting almost killed. That's not going to happen here. You're okay. No one will attack you. And he stayed in Corinth a year and six months and established this church in Corinth over a year and six months worth of time. So that's kind of where we now enter into this area. Oh, and by the way, he's not only done all that, but there's a guy named Sothenes that you're going to hear about in the beginning of this. Sothenes was actually the ruler of the synagogue who tries to oppose Paul, and then Sothenes gets the tar beat out of him um, for trying to resist him. And then now he's mentioned this letter. It's a whole thing. It's fantastic. You're going to get there in a second. But all this has happened. And he says, some years have gone by between the founding of Paul's letter and now this church. And in this time, he has transferred leadership over to elders and maybe even to a guy named Apollos. We're going to talk about that later. And there have been some letter writing back and forth during this gap. Okay. And this letter writing between Paul, so Paul has founded it, year and six months, spent the time. He's now left. A couple years have gone by. He's now writing to this church in Corinth. But the letter writing to this church in Corinth is kind of not going well. It, it, it's, it's a lot of like hate mail back and forth. My wife and I uh, just found a box last night down in our basement again that had a bunch of our letters in it. And uh, in between the time we first dated and then actually dated, there were some letters that went back and forth, and we still have them, uh, and our girls got to read them last night, which is highly entertaining, and, and they were kind of like hate mail back and forth, like, I don't understand, why don't you love me, why don't you want to date me, it was really pathetic, all on my end, and <laughs> just true, and, and I'm like, why, why are we not getting together, why do you hate me, I just want to be friends, why don't you want to be friends, and it was just like, I don't even know what you're talking about, I'm, you know, she, at that point, she's probably dating five other guys, but it was just, it was just that kind of thing, like, I love you, but you know, um, so, I didn't check that with you, I should, okay, but there was just this hate mail that went back and forth, back and forth, and this is kind of similar to the church, where, where, where Paul is writing to the church, and the church is getting this letter from Paul, and they're like, 
Who is this guy think he is to be writing us a letter? He's not even here. He's not even our main pastor. He founded this church, but he's not here. Why are they writing letters to us as if they had any say over what we do? Are you kidding me? Who is this Paul? And that's kind of the way these letters went back and forth. And there was a total of, they believe, about four letters that went back and forth. Uh, We have two, and there are two others that we do not have that were written to the church in Corinth. And that's kind of where we begin this book. So, All that to get into verse 1. Okay, like I said, we're not going to be much in the text. We're just going to be a lot of history and culture this morning. Let's go into verse 1. That's leading up to this letter. Now, here comes Paul's first, well, this is probably the third letter, not in order. But anyway, so we'll talk about it. Paul, verse 1, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ and to our brother Sothenes. Now, here's what Paul's doing. He's, he's reminding the people of who he is, and he's doing it in a very direct way. Paul, called by the will of God, number one. Hey, guess what, Corinth? You're not in charge. God's in charge. He set me as pastor over this church. I'm following the will of God, not your will. Boom, take that. That's number one. That's a great way to start your letter, Paul. Fantastic. And then he says, and to be the apostle of Christ. And then he says, okay, I'm not only called by God. I'm an apostle. In other words, I have credentials. I, like Peter, like John, like James, who were apostles in the book of Acts, who were stamped with the approval of of God, this is a leader in the church. I have that stamp. Called as an apostle of Jesus Christ and a brother to Sosthenes. Remember, Sosthenes was the dude who just got the tar kicked out of him for trying to oppose Paul. Somehow along the way, many people believe that he somehow made his way into the church. That would have been awkward, right? Hey, good to see you, brother. That's the dude that totally tried to take the church out, right? But somehow he's made his way in, and Paul can relate to him, and he even calls out his brother, Sosthenes, here. So what Paul's doing here is he's giving this, this church, hey, I'm still pastor. I still have weight over this church. I may not be there in person, but I still have weight over this church. He, he pulls the founder's card out. He pulls the called by God card out on these people. And he says, remember, this is not just your church. This is God's church. So then he says in verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says this, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Then in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So, this is who I am. This is my credentials. This is why this letter is important. And then he says to the church of God that is in Corinth, sanctified in Christ. In other words, he's telling all of your growth, all of your change, all of your newness of of accomplishing who you are in Christ, that was done through Jesus Christ. And he called them to be saints together with all those in every place as they call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, hey, you as a church plant in Corinth, you, you are one of many. And he probably had in mind Philippi and others that he, he had planted. 
And he says, this is just one body of believers among many. And I would say the same is true today. We are one body among many. There are a lot of churches out there, and there are a lot of believers who, who call on the name of Jesus Christ, and he is their foremost. And we are one of them, and Corinth was one of them. And he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to remember verse 3 because it's probably one of the only times in the book of Corinthians where Paul is going to be kind and he's going to be nice. Okay, So from here on out, the letter gets even more fun. So um, this is his beginning, and I want you to remember this. He's saying grace to you and peace from our God, Father. And he says, this is why I can give you grace. And this is where we're going to end today in verses 4 to 9. He says, this is why I give grace to you, because, verse 4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Jesus Christ. That same grace given to this church in Corinth was given to Paul when he was trying to persecute Christians. When Paul was very beginning of his career, he was a staunch head professor, even kind of level theology of a Jew, was, was the, the, the best of the best when it came to Judaism and the culture of Judaism. And he was called by God. And as before he was called by God, he was killing believers. He was persecuting the church that he's now writing letters to. And and he says, if it weren't for the grace of God, I couldn't be standing here with you. I couldn't be writing this letter if grace of God wasn't evident in my own life. And he says, praise God for the grace that brought me to be pastor of this church, your church in Corinth. And he says, this is what I give thanks to God for. I give thanks for you always because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ. That in every way, here's a good verb you want to highlight circle, that in every way you were enriched. Okay? Not you are, not you're going to be, not at one point there will be some enrichment, but that you were enriched in him, in all speech, and all knowledge. In other words, he's giving us a theological point this morning that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you put your full weight in Jesus, all of your growth and all of your things that happen on this world and this earth, they seem like they're taking forever. And they seem like it's a roller coaster where like, I do really good one week, I don't do really good tomorrow. I do really good today, not good then. And I just feel like it's just this up and down. And, and I, I feel like I'm not really growing in Christ. And I feel like I'm kind of backtracking. And I, just, I don't know, I'm all over the place. And Paul's like, Exactly. That, that's what you're going to experience here in a sinful world. That's part of it. But don't forget that you are positionally already have been enriched with all speech and all knowledge, even as a testimony about Christ is confirmed among you. So you are not lacking in any gift. Even though you feel like you're not there, you have Christ in you. And because Christ is in you, you have all that you need for this world and the one to come. Isn't that amazing? It doesn't feel like it, Joel. I, have, you, have you seen my week? Have you seen what I did? Have you seen my mouth? You don't understand. I do understand. You're living in a broken world, and you're trying to be like Christ, and it's tough. I get it. But you need the reminder that Christ has already done the work for you. Stop trying to save yourself. It doesn't work that way. Christ and Christ alone is all that you need. So when you have your rough weeks, and they will happen, you're going to have a rough week and you're going to be like, I don't even know if I'm saved anymore. Stop it. Yes, you are. All that has been done has been done in Christ and it's already been fulfilled so that Paul can write to this messed up, jacked up church that's going to make our church look really good. <laughs> and he can write to this church and he can say, hey, guess what? You're jacked up. Awesome. We all are. 
But the truth of the matter is, if you try and fix it yourself, you're going to end up worse than if you just stop and say, it's only Jesus, it's only Jesus, and he's already given me everything that I need. From here to eternity, I have everything I need, and I have already been full, enriched in him, in all speech, and all knowledge, and I already possess all the gifts that he has required and needs for me to have these gifts for this church. It's already been done. Stop trying to save yourself. Stop trying to put extra guilt on yourself, measuring up to this level of, well, at least I'm doing better than so-and-so in the church. That's next week. It doesn't work. It doesn't. Remember, it's about Jesus, death, burial, and resurrection, and nothing else. I hope you understand that as a church. I could say a lot of things this morning, but ultimately, if you do not understand that we are a church that doesn't take ourselves too seriously, but we take Christ very seriously. We take theology very seriously because his word tells us truth that we need to hear. We have all we need in Jesus Christ, and that's a complete tangent, but you need to hear it this morning. You have all you need in Jesus. He's telling the church in Corinth, you have all you need in Christ. Even the testament of Christ is confirmed among you, so you're not lacking in any gift as you wait the revealing of Jesus Christ, who will, highlight circle this, who will sustain you to the end. Are you sure? Positive. Are you, I don't know, my week's been, he will sustain you to the end. And you will be, this is a huge word, you will be guiltless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's amazing. I feel guilty on a regular basis. I don't know about you, but guilt's my thing. I'm really good at it. Fear and guilt, I nail them every single day. God says, I want you to remember, when you arrive in eternity, God even now looks at you and says, I don't see guilt. I see Jesus. And because Jesus is in you, you will be guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Verse 9, we end here. Why? God is faithful. That's why. Not because you attend church every week, once a month, once a year, whatever it is, not because of your attendance, not because of how many people you help during the week. God is faithful because his son is what's at stake. God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's beautiful. Thank you, Paul. You are, you are reminding us of our call in Christ, and he's saying Christ is faithful even when you're not Christ will be faithful even when I start to expose all of 1 Corinthians. (laughs) It's going to get messy. It's going to get really ugly over the next couple weeks. You're going to love it. It's going to get really hard. But remember, Christ is in you, giving you all that you need, and God is faithful so that we can pray this way that in every way, you were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge, even as a testimony of our Christ is confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me close in prayer. Father, this is your church. We are just getting started this year. This is your place. This is your time. So God, we, we come to you as a body of believers. We don't come to you because we have a building. This building is a tool. 
That's all it is. What makes your church are the brothers and sisters sitting among us right now. We, called by you, sitting under the head pastor of Jesus Christ, are who we are. May we not be known as that church building on the hill. May we be known as a people who follow Jesus Christ. Father, you have been faithful. You have been so faithful in all of our lives, even when we have not been. So this morning, I pray that you remind us of that truth. All we need is Jesus, the truth, the way, the life. He is all we need. And we will follow him to eternity. We will fall on our face before him, knowing only he can fix us. Only he can redeem us. Only Jesus can save this community desperately in need of hope, desperately in need of Jesus. Only he, only you can do it. So we ask you to. We ask you to move over this first part of the year in us at Community Bible Church. Help us to be more like you. Help us to be as faithful to you as you have been to us. It's in your powerful, life-giving name we pray. Amen.